0: Friends, you're listening to Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Fast Forward Radio is an audio production of The Speculist. You can find us online at speculist.com. That's S-P-E-C-U-L-I-S-T.com, Or you can go straight to the blog at blog.speculist.com. On Fast Forward Radio and at The Speculist, we talk about what's happening in the world today and we talk about where the world's going. And we're not afraid to take a pretty controversial view about those kinds of things. Our view is that if you're not excited about the future, you're not paying attention. We believe that the world is getting better all the time, and we think that something's going to happen. Something's wonderful. Oh, let me try that again. Something's (laughs) going to happen. Something wonderful. (laughs) My name is Phil Bowermaster, and I'm coming to you live from Las Vegas, Nevada, the entertainment capital of the world, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-host, Co-blogger and co-futurist Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Well, hey Phil, I, I'm coming to you live
1: from Shreveport. Oh well. <laughs> oh,
0: come on, let's play it up here,
1: Shreveport, Louisiana. The what? Capital of the world? I,
0: I'm
2: not it sure.
1: Uh, it's it's halfway between Dallas and Jackson, Mississippi. I...
0: <laughs> Beautiful. All right. <laughs> Any rate. Right. Fair enough. Yeah, how are How are you tonight? Oasis between. Uh, I, I'm super fantastic. How are you, my friend? Oh, very good. Very good. Good. So um, we've got a fun show. We're going to uh, we're, we're going to take on the financial crisis head on, as we like to do with uh, Fast Forward Radio. We're not going to shy away from big problems in the world. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do what we can with the financial crisis. But I thought we'd get into a few other topics first. But first, let's check in with uh, with Michael Darling, our chat host. Make sure he's with us also in the virtual studio, Michael.
2: Yeah, I'm just looking up the lyrics to uh, Joe Hill. Organize, friends, organize.
0: <laughs> okay, very good. What's the – you might have to explain that one to some of us younger folks. Uh,
2: Joe Hill was a uh, labor organizer and a wobbly from the early part of the 20th century.
0: Oh, okay, so oh, okay. playing yeah. into our kind of Great Depression theme and uh, – uh, Marxist uh, agitators versus the you know the New Deal coming in and the Hoovervilles and, and
2: hobos. Stuff. Let's not leave out hobos. <laughs> <laughs> the hobos
0: are pictured in our uh, in our ad for uh, Fast Forward Radio uh, shown at the Speculus this evening. Absolutely. Um, hopefully, we are not going to spend too much time on hobos this evening. Uh, I think I think we've got. Some ideas in mind for how we can avoid the scenario that's depicted, I think, rather grimly in that picture, which uh, for those who haven't seen that, it shows, uh, uh, this is a photograph taken from, I don't know what year, but it was obviously during the Great Depression, and it shows uh, men walking past. I'm not going to use the uh, H word. Uh, We'll just say they were down on their luck, and uh, they're, they're walking in front of a big billboard that says, jobless men, keep going. We can't take care of our own chamber of commerce. So it was a... Very sad uh, testament to to those days, but uh, I don't think we're going to go that way. I think we're going to we're going to find a an alternate route for how we manage our financial future, and uh, we'll get into that in a few minutes. But uh, before I thought we'd just uh, bounce around and see if there's any other topics we want to touch on first. Stephen, maybe any uh, good movies you've seen lately, for example?
1: Well, I've seen two movies lately, um, and we didn't mention it last week, uh, but I I'd, I saw Eagle Eye before our last show. And I thought it was a uh it, it's a paranoid vision of the future to some extent, but I thought it was a very smart and effective thriller, and I would recommend it to anybody who liked that you know like that genre of film um i don't want, i don't need to talk too much about it because there there's some significant spoilers that could be said, and I'm going to just kind of uh leave it at that uh, I recommend it and in spite of the fact that uh, it's probably gotten some pretty negative reviews, I really don't understand why. It's it's uh, it's a fun show, uh, and so anyone who has not seen it, get out and go see it. But there's another movie that I saw this week that I like even better, um,
0: City of Ember. And, uh, City of Ember. So uh, City of uh, Ember. that's an evocative title. I, I don't know anything about uh, that movie. Tell us uh, t- tell us a little something about that.
1: Okay, uh, City of Ember. It's it's a city that it was built underground, uh, deep underground uh, at, at the end of the world. And of course, it's it's a real
0: generic. Oh wait wait end- wait! Is this one with Bill Murray? Is in this? Yeah yeah yeah. Oh that's, okay that's okay. Warm. I've seen I've seen a trailer for this. Okay, I, I know a little more about it than I thought. Okay go. ahead. Okay. And
1: it's a real generic end of the world type thing. They never really explain why you know, what went wrong at the surface, but, you know, they said, okay, we're going to put everybody underground for a couple hundred years, or at least a city worth of people underground for a couple hundred years, and uh, then we're giving them instructions on how to get back to the surface. Well, of course, 200 years is a long time, and things don't quite go as planned, and that is the basic setup for this movie. And uh, I thought it was very well done. I thought the characters were believable in that they're not they don't seem to be products of of our civilization they seem to be products of that strange underground civilization and um there's enough weirdness to make it you know make, make it seem like it's not you know the kids are not kids from this time you know where they're typical smart aleck type comments and know it all you know i'm not i'm not trying to say all kids are that way but it seems like kids in the movies are presented that way
0: yeah, I mean, particularly if you're going to see a kid from our era, that's how they would present them as distinct from a child from the past or a child from the future. That's one of the trademarks you would look for, right? Yeah, so. and
1: these kids are not like that. And uh, I thought that was refreshing, and uh, and 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 probably uh, accurate considering what what we're talking about here. And I thought it was very well done. The uh, the city that is is just. Um, well, in some ways, it was quite believable and uh, and 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 very detailed and thought out. And you know, I, I just I just enjoy it. the city itself seemed like a character in this movie. And uh, and in some ways, I, I would I would compare it maybe to the to the film Wally, and maybe also okay. to, the, to the film Dark City. All three of these movies, uh, City of Ember, Wally, and Dark City, are about civilization nearly coming to an end, just hanging on by the ragged edge. It looks like uh, you know humanity is about to check out, but at the last minute, you know there's there's some hope at the last minute. And so, anyway, I want right. to I want to recommend uh, City of Ember, and uh, even even more so than Eagle Eye. So, yes, yeah, so I have Okay, to so a two of thumbs up movies.
0: there. One for one for Eagle Eye, and one for City of Ember. Well, that's right. Okay, Michael, have you seen either of those?
2: I haven't i've uh I've been busy winterizing and uh movies didn't figure into that
0: yep winterizing timely this weekend in uh in denver area. We got our first uh first real kind of uh wintry weather. I, I, I don't know, did, did it snow today at all? Michael, I flew out this morning and it looked like it was going to warm up. Uh, maybe. It
2: did snow, but the the, the snow level was like uh, 7,500 feet, so nothing in the city. It's all up in the hills, but it was oh, okay. uh, cold and rainy and, you know, good days for movies, but we were doing other stuff. Yeah.
0: But a good heads up, time to winterize. See, there you go. So It's actually uh, in seasonally cool here in Las Vegas, too, since we're on the weather. Don't know how we ended up here, but uh, uh, they say it's about 20 degrees cooler than normal. So, how are things in Shreveport?
1: It's been beautiful the last few weeks. Uh not too hot, not too cold. Um just uh, you know about uh, you know uh, 80 degrees a, a, and 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 with a nice little breeze. I mean, and it's been nice like that uh, uh for w- several weeks now.
0: Yeah, okay. I was going to I was going to see if we could somehow correlate this cool weather to the lack of sunspots. But maybe that would be uh, uh jumping the gun on <laughs> I
1: don't know. We might have some global cooling. That would be nice. Well, I don't, you know, I well, I, well, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. Global global cooling in some ways uh would be harder to deal with than global warming. So global cooling would
0: be horrible. Yeah. Um we 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 know that uh we know that there are a lot of negatives associated with the uh with the climate getting hotter. Uh there are also a, a huge number of negatives associated with it getting colder. Uh, all the problems they talk about with species going extinct. Um uh, you know crops all, all those kinds of problems um, are there plus uh, you just you lose you, you lose so much habitat uh, you know parts of the world if if they fall under ice become you know a, a, if you're talking about an actual ice age occurring um, uh, become uninhabitable and suddenly uh, the you know even the amount of land to live on on the planet becomes significantly reduced if, uh, if global cooling were to occur so yeah we hope that uh, no global co- cooling is occurring or if it is it's just offsetting the warming that has occurred and everything's working out in a very uh ah, nice way but as sally points out in the uh in the chat room in the northern hemisphere we're, we're experiencing cooling due to something called autumn <laughs> so, yeah
1: <laughs> that's exactly right maybe you I know
0: it could be that excellent point <laughs> yeah that uh that that is a nice little grounding in reality for us there sally thank you for that uh you're absolutely right that's precisely what's going on uh so we're going to get into our topic here in just a moment. I just want to say that this is fast forward radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're going to be talking a little bit about the financial crisis, and we'll take a kind of a speculist view of that. We'll talk about uh, the remedy that's been put in place, and, and what other uh, what, what other things might have been done with that money besides the the financial remedy that's been put in place. And we'll also talk a little bit about what we think. Might be done to correct this financial problem. Maybe some out of the box ideas from our futurist perspective. We'll, we're eager to see those from our listeners as well. So if you're listening live, please join us in the chat room or give us a call at 347 215 8972. Now, before I get into our um, main topic this evening, I did want to read something that I failed to read last week. And uh, last week we celebrated our one year anniversary on Blog Talk Radio, and I was very remiss in not reading this letter, uh, this email that we received from Christine Peterson, who of course is the head of the Foresight Nanotech. She wrote, congratulations to Fast Forward Radio on your first anniversary. In the year to come, I hope you'll be covering open source sensing, a new Foresight project, and our conference, Convergence 08, on November 15th through the 16th, being held collaboratively with a number of other advanced tech organizations, and she provides links to both. And she says thanks and best wishes, Chris. So uh, thank you, Christine, for those good wishes. And uh, we'll be sure and provide links uh, to both of those, both to the uh, uh, open source sensing and to Convergence 08 in our show notes. And I should point out, Stephen, that uh, uh, chatting with PJ last week, I guess uh, she's helping to head up that Convergence 08. It's going to be uh, not just Foresight Nanotech, but the um, uh, – I'm sorry – the. Uh, trans, uh, what do we call it now? H plus the uh, transhuman. Uh, I'm sorry, Phil. I can't help you. I, uh, what, uh, it's
1: it's a group. Obviously, she's a part of. Huh?
0: Tyler Emerson's group. Um, I'm a member. I should really be able to rattle off the name of it, but the uh, transhumanist organization, the famous one, uh, whose name escapes my mind for for. Uh, for for the moment, pardon me. Um, otherwise known as H Plus, they've recently been known as H Plus, and I believe also Lifeboat Foundation and a couple of other organizations are also going to be involved. So this is going to be a big change for the uh, uh, for the Vision Weekend. Um, it's going to be kind of a influx of some new ideas and some new organizations uh, meeting with them in addition to uh, in addition to kind of the regular crowd who usually come to uh... to the vision weekend so i I, i'm looking forward to seeing what they're what they're going to be doing i think that's going to be a really exciting time so uh... hopefully we can get pj back on the show to talk about that a little bit and you know we should really think about uh, one of the three of us uh... finding a way to get out there november 15th through the 16th this this obviously is in california correct yeah it'll be in the bay area somewhere last year they had it at the yahoo headquarters um... cool i'm sure wherever they have it it'll be awesome um yeah, it'll be it'll be some interesting location like that. Um, but uh, we should uh, yeah, let's talk about that offline and see about maybe we'll send Michael. That's right.
1: Get to pull together our milk money and send him on, huh?
0: Yeah, that yeah, I think awful. so. Have him uh, have him covered, or one of us anyway should go. But uh, but that is uh, that's an exciting event coming up, and we we'll look forward to having some additional details on that. Okay, so let's get into. Our topic. Um, our topic this evening is the Speculous guide to surviving the financial crisis, and uh, I want to start by talking about, uh, you know, what did we do to try to bail ourselves out of this mess, and um, what are some other things that that money might have gone to that uh, might have addressed the problem better, or that might have just addressed the human situation a little bit better. And I did a blog post on that. Uh, about a week ago, and I called it uh, what would it get you a short list and so I came up with the top i think I came up with five things that I think you could buy for about seven hundred or so billion dollars and actually, I think that number might be wrong. i think in the end, the bailout package might have cost more than seven hundred billion is that is that correct
1: It's somewhere between seven hundred billion and a, and a trillion
0: it's it's hard to imagine that much money Wow it really is that 's a lot of that is a lot of lettuce right there. So, so we'll we'll stick to the lower figure, call it 700 billion, because I still think this is uh, this is probably accurate. So here are the here are the items I came up with, and we can we can talk through the different ones and then we can add to them as as we see fit. Um, the first one I came up with was the space elevator, and I'm not sure that 700 billion or even a trillion would get us there, but I think that certainly that amount of money would take a huge bite out of it. I think there's no question that we could be much closer to having a space elevator in place if we put that kind of money towards it than we do now. What this would mean for us, of course, is we'd get easy and reliable and cheap and continuous movement of goods and people back and forth into space. And I think that that would open up space in ways that we can't even imagine. I think the economic consequences of that are pretty hard to assess and pretty hard to predict, but I think they would be significant. And I think that uh, were one or more of these space elevators to be constructed, that there, that it would probably be a, uh, the beginning of some kind of economic boom. That's my guess if right. we were to put a space elevator in place. Well, so that, that's, think that was you think about one. it, we're, we're only a few miles
1: from outer space. You know, I mean, um, if, if it were as easy as taking a drive, of you know, a 60 to 100-mile drive, to get to outer space, uh, imagine how how often we would go to outer space and what we would do. I mean, and as you pointed out many times, Phil, you know, earth, uh, low, earth, low Earth orbit is halfway to anywhere in the solar system, isn't it? As far as the amount of fuel it takes to get there, it's just uh, the the expensive part is to actually get into orbit.
0: Exactly. So. Uh, you know yeah i think in, in terms of opening up the universe for exploration there's no question that the benefits would be enormous you know whether it would be um whether it would provide the kind of economic relief we're looking for in the short term probably not but in the long term it would benefit us in ways that uh, it, it's pretty hard to imagine that uh, that a quick 700 million dollar credit fix is is going to so so, so that's item 1 and and um it's I, I guess the the point of all the items on this list is it's just too bad. It's too bad if we have that kind of money to to throw around. We're not spending it on any, any of these items, right? Right. So my, my second item was a nuclear fusion power plant. And the thing is, we don't have a clear one hundred percent path to what's going to get us to reliable working nuclear fusion power generation. there are There are a couple or three major ideas. Uh, there's one model that's being worked on in Europe. We have a slightly different model that we've looked at in the U.S., and then sometimes we're on board with the Europeans, sometimes we're going a slightly different route. And then there's this kind of interesting idea that, uh, that Boussard came up with that, that we've blogged about a little bit at the Speculist, and we've said, well, maybe this electrostatic field idea of containing a, a nuclear fusion reaction is, is really the right way to go. The point is, for that kind of money, for $700 billion, we could probably try... A couple or three different ways of getting there and have stand a really good chance i think of getting to reliable nuclear fusion power now that one uh I think the economic benefit is a bit more straightforward
1: absolutely um it, once once you have fusion power that i mean that takes care of uh, a host of problems, doesn't it i mean uh, we would end up powering our cars by electricity, no doubt uh generated by fusion reactors. And uh, we'd do everything else with electricity as well, because it would be the cheapest way to uh,
0: to make energy exactly i mean once once you've, once you've got that going that's probably how we're going to get energy from from there on. Most other methods of generating power are going to become obsolete at that point that's right and at that point it, it, you know our the path that we're already on to um, uh, to developing electric cars and so forth is, is only going to be enhanced by the fact that we've got this abundant, safe, clean means of producing the electricity to do it. It seems like that would be a real game changer for the world economy if we were to adopt nuclear fusion power. And I think, um, and I'd be interested, because I know Michael has read about this one quite a bit. Uh, Michael, I'd be interested to know what you think on that. Do you think $700 billion could get us to working nuclear <coughs> fusion?
2: Bussard thought, um, last year, uh, last summer, in fact, 15, 16 months ago, and the technology has advanced since then. He thought for less than 10 million, 15 million at most, you could ha- you could prove concept for his um, uh, uh, electrostatic containment field. Um, and if 20 million would proof of concept, and I'm just rounding up, and say another 200 million to um, actually build the thing, well. Now you got two hundred million divided into seven hundred billion. It's a big number. You could try and fail many, many times. I think you'd be there.
0: It seems to me that uh, that you, you would have enough runway with seven hundred billion dollars if it's ever going to happen to get there. And uh, of all the uh, of all the different ways to get to essentially free energy, I mean, as close to free energy just about as you can get, other than say solar. Uh, th- th- this this would be the, this would be the thing to try um, yeah when, when you look at it that way you think about um, we, we've talked about the presidential candidates and their energy plans, and I think John McCain has this idea to put out forty five new nuclear power plants, and that's nuclear fission power, traditional nuclear power plants well, with the money we're spending on the bailout, uh, if your numbers are correct there Michael and it costs two hundred million to to put a uh, a nuclear fusion plant in place, we could have many more nuclear fusion power plants than we're planning to put out the fission plants. I mean, we could power the whole country with nuclear fusion power for $700 billion. I mean, completely turn around our infrastructure uh, where energy is concerned and, and obviously just completely remake the world economy.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And and the cool thing about a Boussard reactor is, is how cheap it would be. Uh, I, I suspect that we will find out whether that, that uh model has uh is a dead end or not and we'll find that out pretty soon I, I would i would hope that we'll know whether boussard's model could work uh within five to ten years i it seems like uh the, the work is continuing and they've had some uh some measure of success lately haven't they well,
2: well uh, definitely the, the initial
0: go ahead michael yeah
2: the the work did continue the um e m c two company went out and got another uh, fusion physicist and said hey let's take the ball and try and advance it um, and they completed what would essentially be part repeat of phase seven part the first step into phase eight uh... down the bussard path and he published everything i want to say in august could have been september like just in the last six or eight weeks and is basically waiting for peer review to say, yeah, it worked, or no, it's a myth. Part of the issue, as far as, you know, guys like you and I are concerned, is that um, a lot of the data is going to be classified, and we won't know. We won't know until the Navy starts driving around in submarines that are powered with the thing, and then we'll go, oh, it works. Right.
0: Right. Because, uh, yeah, with the government working on it, that's that's where we'll see it first, rather than having – uh, a couple dozen or a couple hundred plants uh, put out for, for civilian energy production. Still, right. I, I would, I, I can't help but think that if, if the if the principle worked, we we would have to see it in production uh, reasonably quickly. And it's a it's a huge money making opportunity for uh, for somebody who jumps on it, uh, assuming it works. And and the key is to get that initial work funded. That did you say ten million that he said it would take to prove the concept?
2: thought 10 million would get them through their next phase. That was, uh, well, on today's calendar from right now in, in October oh8 That's almost two years old number. So I rounded up to 15 or 20 and said, even I, I don't know what the inflation is in the fusion R&D universe, but it can't be more than double um, in two years. So 20 million gets to the next proof of concept, which he thought. Um, you know and maybe this is one of those brass rings where it's like yeah it feels close but nope you're wrong it's it's 200 years away not 200 dollars away and you go oh yeah but for that, that one decimal place um but he right. thought you know the next proof of concept at which point it's all engineering there's no science left wow i mean that's chump
0: change 10 million compared to <laughs> Uh, it's not chump change to guys like us, but that's chump change compared to seven hundred billion dollars or a trillion dollars. You know, I mean, it's, it seems like the, even even by the standards of money that gets thrown around into trying different things out, it seems like that's one that that is pretty doable, and that uh, you would expect that that we'll see somebody take up that challenge and and put pump the ten million into it to see if uh, the, if the concept can be proved here sooner rather in than his, later.
2: In his in the Bussard Google Tech Talk, he does a uh, you know should Google go nuclear? Um, he does a good job of explaining in sort of roundabout ways that because they were funded by the Navy largely in a black budget or a a classified budget, um, nobody really knew exactly what they had, nobody really knew exactly what would come next, and if the Navy funded it, great, and if they didn't, it was going to be hard to get uh, uh, authority for somebody else to pick up the ball and run with it. Well, somebody else did pick up the ball and run with it, so implicitly, whatever classified hurdles there are, they're you know either manageable or uh, smarter people than than me went through it and said hey let's let's fund this a little further
0: right well I hope that uh, I hope we hear more about this it's too bad it doesn't seem to be on the radar of the popular culture it's not something that you hear about in the news and certainly it's not anything that is being discussed in, in terms of the presidential campaign but uh, uh, I, I hope that this one, gets enough attention to, to to carry on because it sure looks like something that could be a big game changer for us. Well, now you I'm know, uh, ten, 10 million
1: dollars as as you pointed out is it doesn't have to have a lot of attention to get to to get 10 million dollars thrown at it. And
0: uh that's true.
1: And uh so it, it, this is one this is one of those things that could end up blindsiding uh uh you know all the wise men who uh are out there trying to predict what the future is going to be like you know what what if we have a fusion reactor uh, up and up and going in five years you know um, right
0: well and, and the thing about that is I guess when you look at this and especially when you look at item three on my list when we get into that one um, there, there's a possibility for some of these technologies to bring tremendous economic benefits but also to cause outrageous economic disruption right. and I, I think we would see that from from nuclear fusion I think we would also see that from my third item on the list which is the universal assembler. And this one is a big question mark. You know, how, how much money it would cost to build a universal assembler begins with the question of, well, what exactly do you mean by one? And uh, the picture I show is actually kind of a tinker toy uh, prototype uh, rapid replication device. And, and w- we know that um, there has been a good deal of work in the direction of making electronic material fabrication uh, object replication uh, at a macro scale, real, uh, you know, over, over the last couple, three years, um, it's still got a ways to go. And, you know, we're, we're not to the point yet where you, you hook up a device, you know, the dream we talk about where you hook up a device similar to a printer to your computer and then you go uh, uh, online and you look for a picture of a cell phone and you hit, yep, that's the one I want, hit print, and then the actual mobile phone device or iPod or, you know, any Really, any material object you can imagine comes out because it's been fabricated in that machine. It's been built in three dimensions and to, you know, correct engineering and electrical specifications by the by the replicating machine. We've got a ways to go before we get to that, and before we get to the true universal assembler um, that uh, that we imagine. We're probably talking about something that would work uh, via molecular nanotechnology. We're probably talking about something that would that would work by constructing um, these items at the molecular level, building them up from atoms, as it were. Um, well, we $700 already have. Seven hundred million dollars get it there. That's the yes. question.
1: What we have now is uh, our fab labs, which basically would are 3D printers that would you know print something out of plastic or whatever, and uh, you you. Uh, you could print out, you know. Uh, I suppose with a, an advanced enough Fab Lab, you could just tell it uh, print print me a radio, or print me this, or print me that. Doesn't matter what what it is, it can just print it out. But what you're thinking about, I feel, it would be the next next step up is to actually uh, assemble something at the molecular level, which is a whole different ballgame.
0: Right, and I guess the question is, how far down that road, and and maybe it's the road of achieving. Uh, True molecular nanotechnology, true atomic scaled precision in uh, assembling, uh, in manufacturing and assembling matter, um, would $700 billion get us? Uh, from talking with folks at the Singularity Institute, I get the impression that a billion dollars would push us way, way down this road. So you have to think that $700 billion would get us reasonably far. Um, question from Michael is Could a fab lab make food? I don't know that, yes. a, that what Stephen is describing as a Fab Lab could, but certainly what I'm talking about in terms of a universal molecular assembler, it could. And I'm sorry, Stephen, you had a different opinion on whether a Fab Lab could. Go yes, ahead.
1: a Fab Lab uh, can do food, and they already do. Uh, you've, you've seen cakes with someone's picture printed on them, haven't you?
0: Oh, there you go. Okay. That's right. That's.
1: So, I mean, that's uh, basically icing. Uh, embryonic and,
0: Fab Lab technology, isn't it? Yeah. That's right. A printed. So, here's the food. question. Actually, let me say this first. This is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're talking about alternatives to the financial crisis and what we might have done with the financial bailout money other than spend it as we have. And if you'd like to join us, we're talking about it in our live online chat, or you can give us a call at 347-215-8972. So the question is, would a machine like a Fab Lab call it a – a, a molecular scale fab lab, a true universal assembler, mm-hmm. a universal assembler that could build anything, including another universal assembler. If we had spent the seven hundred billion dollars and built one of those, would that help or hurt us in the financial crisis?
1: <laughs> like you say, uh, you talk about disruption. Um, yeah. Some of these, uh, some of these things are. You know, markets as they exist would would see ce- would cease to exist. Uh, they you would you'd have uh, I don't know if if you can print anything you need uh, then why you know what what's the point of the marketplace you know so uh, it would be yeah. very very disruptive.
0: There's a there's a reference I don't know if it's in Drexler's book Engines of Creation or if I heard it someplace else but uh, the idea is ultimately you get one of these things working off solar power and all you need to make anything in the world. Is dirt and sunlight, you know, and maybe some maybe some water. You, you know, as long <laughs> as you can find more dirt, you can keep putting out the food. Uh, if there's if there's uh, enough minerals in there, you might have to find you know sc- you scrounge around to get uh, the, to get the right materials, organic for the material. molecules just, or something. Yeah, yeah, just
2: about anything
0: that uh, that you can imagine that you could possibly need. Well, yeah, at that point, um, Amazon.com, Target, Walmart, uh, Kroger, right? the, the – all these retailers are suddenly out of business because everybody's just replicating essentially everything they need. So in, in a sense, I, I would think that a device like this would be devastating to our economy. On the other hand, um, ultimately, it, this thing would be extremely liberating and uh, right. it, it probably would be more effective in the developing world than than it would be for us. It would be more effective where people actually – Suffer with not having food, or you know they're not able to get clothing, or you know basic necessities aren't being met. To have a machine that would actually just produce that stuff, um, it, it would it would probably be kind of a a leveler of the playing field uh, among among world economies before it disrupted the world economy and maybe brought it completely to its knees. It, it, it's hard to imagine it not causing a pretty big mess, though. I guess as I think it through. I heard a podcast that uh that what they did
1: was they dramatized a um a sci-fi story uh that involved uh, the the coming of a uh, universal similar to a small town and and the d- disruption it caused there and and how you know all these all these people uh you know stopped working and uh they you know basically lost their reason for living and all that and how and how awful it was well you know I just don't buy it I think that people as a whole would find things to do with themselves, you know, without without necessarily, you know, uh falling into depression because they uh have everything in the world that they could possibly want. And I you know, just call me crazy, but I think uh, I you can have some fun uh with with uh you know, if you if every if you could have the uh the sports car of your dreams, I imagine you'd go drive that from time to time
0: rather than sit in a funk. You know? Yeah, I I think that if nothing else if nothing else, uh, people would strive to get the latest and greatest uh, universal assembler, right? Because there'd always be one doing it slightly faster or slightly better than the one before. Or you'd still need the software. You'd still need the models to 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 produce the, the yeah, You need the code. Truly most souped-up sports car. Or, uh, uh, code would be the last thing that would have any value
1: to it, I suppose. So you'd you'd uh, be you you'd, you'd pay people to come up with better designs for the sports car, you know, that you really want. So
0: exactly. You know, Yeah. Uh, Ultimately, what happens there is something that we've seen happening in the economy anyway, where increasingly the the value proposition for goods and services, and it's easy to see with services, but it's harder to see with goods sometimes, the real value proposition is the information component. So we, we recognize that when we buy something like a computer, but we don't recognize it when we buy something like a can opener. But it, but it actually is the design work that went into that and the design of the manufacturing process that created it and the distribution process that got it to us. All, all that information has actually uh, contributed to the value of that item to us by the time we go to the store and, and, and purchase the can opener. Well, at this point, we're, we're taking it one step further, and we're saying that the, the pattern that, that makes that up, the, pat- the reproducible pattern of that can opener is the real value. That the the material goods that go into it are just a commodity and essentially of, of zero value. Uh, in in the same way that um, uh, you know that, that that we would value a letter from a friend uh, equally. Well, say you took a letter from a friend and you've made three photocopies of it. We would value all three photocopies equally, right? It's all the same thing, and we wouldn't think anything about the paper. Well, well, essentially at this point. All material goods become photocopies. You know, they they, they become uh, the the paper no longer matters, the toner no longer matters. It's just that that we were able to get the item we were looking for. That's the part. That's the part that actually uh, has value to us. And the jobs that
1: would remain would be those who come up with designs, being creative to come up with something uh, that no one's ever thought of having before. Uh, that that to me, uh, that's that to me is productive work, and that would be fun. So.
0: Yeah, well, Michael says I must have a wicked cool can opener, but that's the point. You know, to survive in that world, you would have to be able to come up with a wicked cool can opener uh, if if you wanted it to stand out in the world where they're all free and everybody can design their own. That's right.
1: Open source would be huge, wouldn't it?
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right, so let's move on to item number four, a cure for aging. And I don't know, you know, Stephen. I know that uh, we've both read this book and uh, the uh, uh, Aubrey de Grey's book on the subject, and we've interviewed him and we've we've talked about this quite a bit. Where do you think this would be a good question for our friend David Gobel? Where do you think seven hundred billion dollars would get us in terms of uh, moving us moving us towards a cure for aging? Well, Aubrey de Grey, I believe, is uh, has compared
1: the Sins Project uh, strategies for engineered negligible senescence. He's he's compared that to the moonshot. And if seven hundred billion buys us how many moonshots?
0: Uh, that is, I believe, like ten. What did I say? I did the math here. Um, let me let me give you. The next how many next Apollo
1: programs can you buy for seven hundred billion? If he's uh, if, seventy. Okay. Oh, seven, so.
0: me, seven Apollo programs. Seven Apollo programs.
1: Okay, well, if, if Aubrey de Grey is right, then 1 uh, one seventieth of the amount that it took to create this bailout uh, could uh, buy us life extension technology.
0: So, uh, wow, you know.
2: There you go.
1: Okay, so
0: um, I, I wrote about it this way. I, I said, you know, that um, if you ask me whether I want the government to spend $700 billion lubricating the credit markets or giving me an extra 150 years to live... Uh, you know, maybe I'm just selfish. I don't know. But, uh, you know, one of those sounds like a real value prop. The other one sounds like a, kind of a very nebulous idea that apparently isn't working all that well anyhow. And when you add to that what you're saying, which is it wouldn't take 70, $700 billion. It would take one-tenth of, yeah. one of that, $70 billion, Um, to suddenly eliminate... You know, not just it's not just the fact that we get to live longer. It's eliminating all the suffering and the degradation and humiliation that accompanies this, you know, process that we've come to accept called aging and, and dying from, from living. Um, you can't yeah. put a price tag on that. I mean, how would you say what that's worth? I, I don't think there's, there's any amount of money that you could say that, that, that that's worth. But to get it for any amount... Seven hundred billion a trillion ten trillion seems to me it would be a huge bargain,
1: yeah, well, and you talk about uh reviving our economy, one of the things that uh you know we're looking at long term is a problem with the baby boomers, you know uh how are we're gonna pay for their retirement you know uh, how are we how are we gonna keep social security from just absolutely collapsing well, you know if these people are a hundred years old and are are biologically thirty or forty and are able to continue working, then uh, it's not an issue.
0: Absolutely. Uh, you, you've got, um, you, got an ongoing, continuing labor force. Uh, there's no expectation of retirement because there's no need. You're n- you, you haven't worn down and gotten tired. We're, we're not talking about extending death. We're talking about extending life. We're talking about people who continue vital and young throughout these added years of their lives, and they would want to work. And this goes back in, a, in an odd way to what we were just saying about the, uh, about the universal assembler because the most valuable component in matter is the information component. Well, you know what? The, the most valuable component in a human being in, in the workforce is probably the knowledge that they would carry in. And these older, more experienced workers, you know, give them a youthful outlook and, and youthful bodies in order to, uh, to, and youthful minds to carry out the work with, and you've got a real asset into your economy, I would say. Absolutely. So that that one, like
1: uh, like the fusion reactor, that's that is a direct benefit.
0: I think so. I think that would be a direct benefit. For one thing, we wouldn't have to worry about Social Security collapsing. That's right. <laughs> it wouldn't it just it just wouldn't matter as much. I mean, it would still be a bad thing, but it just would not matter the way it does right now, because right. the expectations about retirement and that whole concept would. Would would have to
1: be eliminated. People, well, people, y- yeah, would, y- younger people would say, "Hey, hold on, hold on a minute. You know, why exactly now am I? You know, are we paying this? There, there would be at some point a revolt on the whole issue of Social Security, if you know, uh, by virtue of having additional years, you're all of a sudden getting paid by other people in the population, although your health is exactly the same. You know, I mean, um, at some point they're going, well, why are we doing this?
0: Uh, exactly. But, yeah, I, I think I think it would be extremely disruptive, as would the uh, the other items we've talked about. But the net benefit would be hugely positive, uh, not right. not just in social terms and not, not just because it would be good for us not to have to worry about facing that kind of death, but also in in economic terms. Okay. Now we're going to get to item number five here in just a minute. But I'll, I'll give a heads up to our friends in the chat room and to anyone who wants to call us after I complete my list. I'm going to open up the floor to other suggestions uh, from uh, from those who are listening as to what they would like to see that money spent on, and if they can make a case for how that would benefit the economy. I think that'll be lots of fun. So, my <laughs> item number Mike, five, Michael,
1: coffee cups.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, I have something to say on that. I uh, don't don't let me forget.
2: Okay.
0: Um, I, item number five, uh, friendly artificial intelligence. Now. I I make the case uh, I, I see in the chat room that Matt has said that he thinks that um, life extension might be the most expensive uh, of, of all these uh, investments and, and I think it might be uh, I think that's possible. It sounds like it doesn't jibe with Aubrey de Grey's numbers but even if it is I think it's, it's a good investment. I think that the payoff is worth it. But friendly artificial intelligence I think has the highest payoff of any of them and here's why. Um, there's no question that if it's Possible to get there, in my mind, there's no question. If it's possible to get there, 700 billion dollars would get us there. I think that if, if we put that kind of resources into it, we could produce friendly human-level artificial intelligence. Um, and once you have that, once you have a human-level artificial intelligence uh, of being capable of evolving its own intelligence, operating at a speed much greater than ours able to evolve its own intelligence, uh, you know, thinking a million times faster than we do, and friendly, that is to say, aligned with our goals, uh, you know, a, a an intelligent being that likes us and wants, uh, wants our good, um, you know, we have the capability not only of preventing unfriendly artificial intelligence from showing up, which is a, a thing we need to be on the lookout for and something we need to try to prevent, but that would get us to any of the other items on the list. A friendly AI could solve any of the rest of those problems, and we'd probably have much better ideas for how to bail out the credit markets You know, while we're at it, right? <laughs> and we'd probably have a lot of good ideas about how we could avoid those kinds of problems in the future. Meanwhile, give us the universal replicator, give us the space elevator, give us uh, life extension, give us nuclear fusion, and a couple dozen other things that uh, I probably can't even imagine right now. So if I were going to pick one thing, that we could that we would better spend 700 billion dollars on uh rather than the bailout if we had the choice i would say friendly artificial intelligence and it buys us all the other things too
2: <laughs>
1: what, exactly, you, yeah you, that's
0: why I mean, to me it's yeah. like wishing for more wishes
1: right yeah <laughs> that's right that's right the smart kid who's uh, <laughs> offered one wish wishes for 100 wishes so that's exactly yeah, what then, you got you know, there
0: you're wishing for a genie at this point and you know maybe it is a little deus ex machina to, to say well the ai will come along and solve all our problems but that, that's kind of the idea i mean that's kind of when we talk about the singularity and we talk about a truly friendly artificial intelligence i think i think that's where it gets you in the end it, it, it you end up with a situation where in this scenario you get more benefit than than in any other possible scenario So, this is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're talking about solving the economic crisis the speculist way. And you can join us at 347 215 8972 or on our online chat. So, Stephen, I'll open it up to you and to Michael. And, Michael, if you want to share anything from what's going on in the chat room, uh, what other alternatives would you guys offer for how we might spend this money?
1: Well, I like the alternatives you listed, Phil, and I don't think I'll add to that, but I wanted to discuss why it's important to push forward, even when things are looking kind of rough right now. Um, remember Bill Joy wrote the uh, that uh, essay that's so famous, "The future, Why the Future Doesn't Need Us. Right. A while back, uh, we mentioned a response to that uh, from Peter Thiel, who is the PayPal founder. Okay, And he said, I don't even think it's wrong. It's one of those things that's so far off the mark that it's not even wrong. There are obvious yeah, dangers to these technologies. It doesn't even
0: achieve wrongness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: right. It's just, uh, you know, he's just out there saying something that's just wrong. And, and the reason he says it doesn't even achieve wrongness is there's, there are obvious dangers in technologies, but Joy's approach would actually lead to the future he fears. If virtuous people relinquish these things, these technologies, it uh, doesn't mean it's not going to be developed. It just won't be developed here. And somebody else will pick it up maybe there pe- there'll be people that uh don't share our values and maybe uh you know uh it could be terrorists uh who 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 uh pick it up or are, you know communists or who who knows uh, who and uh you end up with with uh these things being developed elsewhere and perhaps um you know us having no defense to some of these technologies so uh he's saying the best Thing to do under under the, these circumstances, and not regulate and try to regulate these things out of existence because you can't do that unless unless you could unless you have a world police state you can't do that. We could say we could regulate it to the point that it'd be an impossibility to develop in the United States, but it'd just be developed someplace else if it's possible at right. all. And uh, and so I, I would I would argue that whether it's regulation or an economic downturn that tempts us to abandon the future. We need to get yeah. over ourselves and hit the accelerator.
0: Yeah, that, Th- there's no better the time defense. to push forward than now. I, right. I agree. That, yeah. that that is well said. That, that that's the real point. That uh, the, the thought that well maybe we should put away these kind of forward thinking ideas and retrench a little bit is exactly backwards. This yeah. is this this is the time for us to to like you said let's step on the accelerator just a bit. Okay, I like that. Michael, what do you got? What, or what have our friends in the chat room got for us?
2: Well, I agree with the uh, the forward looking nature of you know the only way forward is not backward, um, and I I don't really have anything to add. The chat room's kind of deviated off. Well, it was my fault. We deviated off on the cyber babes. I couldn't help it. <laughs> yeah, that. way to go. I see something in there about scoring <laughs> babes. I don't see that originating from any of these. Hey, the holodeck. The, the true holodeck is the last invention ever, right? But um, <laughs> that's right. Uh, I, I would say <laughs> we that we have to in, in, that. In, that goes, <laughs> It goes along with uh, both of yours and Stephen's, I think, aptly expressed optimism that uh, the way out of this is not backward, but forward. Um, I would just say that we live in the greatest time that we ever knew about. Um, and so if if humans lived somewhere else, some other way, other than what's recorded in our the history we know about, and it was better than this, great, but we don't know about it. As far as we know, this is as great as it's ever been. And... Um, you know, People get down and they want to get pessimistic, and I, I understand why I'm sympathetic to, to the hardships and what's going on in the markets, but at the end of the day, uh, this, is, this may not be as good as it was, say, three weeks ago when we didn't realize the market was about to crash, but um, it's better than three months ago, and it's better than three years ago, and it's better than three decades or three centuries or three millennia ago, and it just keeps getting better.
0: Absolutely, and I think that's that's key because i don 't know what it'll be like three weeks from now, but i I have a strong feeling that three years from now it'll be better, and if not, I have a very strong feeling thirty years from now it'll be better, and if not, I have an extremely strong feeling that three hundred years from now it'll be much better than anything we can even begin to imagine because that seems to be uh, the trend and uh, that's that 's really where that, that's really where time seems to be taking us. Well, I saw a couple of interesting. Uh, thoughts from Rob in the chat room. Um, he suggests that uh, another thing we might have done with the money is fix global warming. I think that's a that's a good one. And I like this idea more research into time travel. Um, because <laughs> yeah. with the research into time travel, we could go back in time and prevent all the stupid things we did to get ourselves in an economic mess to begin with. But there has to be a consensus on what got us here, though. Yeah. <laughs> We, we would then create a time travel paradox, so we'd have no impetus to create the time machine and you know assuming there's parallel lines, I think that would work but i like I like that idea um, i i think um i I think those are I think those are both good ideas. I think that fixing global warming is one that if we if we work on the nuclear fusion thing, that would push us in a huge direction towards uh, not impacting the climate in a negative way with carbon, assuming that carbon is uh, having the, the, the kind of conventional wisdom effect, and yeah, I see no reason to think it's not, uh, on, on the climate. If if we switched to nuclear fusion and weren't burning carbon anymore, that would be at least we'd stop the damage there. I think the other thing that helps us improve the environment in, in terms of uh, global warming and pollution and, and just all manner of uh, – Environmental trouble is probably uh, molecular nanotechnology, so that's something that would come in trying to put the universal assembler together. so i think I think some of those ideas are maybe uh, maybe already included in there. yeah I'd, I'd like to think so anyway. So that brings us pretty far. Now, let me throw this out. What about um, other ideas? Ideas that aren't just cool and would have been other good ways to spend the money, but are there particular speculus type ideas for what we should be doing directly? To deal with the financial crisis, and I have to say, from the outset, I'm throwing this out here, and I got nothing. I, I have no idea because I, you know, I, I'm in over my head trying to uh, trying to even understand the markets. But I just wondered, Stephen, can well, you think of anything that, that that we might do?
1: I got something that's not. It's pretty mundane and almost boring, but I'm going to throw it out anyway. Um, I've got my okay. invest. I've got my investments kind of. Tied up with a one one way ratchet deal, okay. Um, and I, I wish I had the company that I, I, I'd, I'd be happy to share it uh, uh, that I have my uh, 401k with. But at any rate, in effect, I'm trading uh, some of my upside for protection against the downside, okay. And right. um, and, and you know, in, in effect, uh, you're you know, when the market's good, you're doing worse than everybody else uh, because you're paying in a, in essence for a Insurance policy for when the market goes down, and then you're just flat while while everybody else goes broke. Um, and uh, I, you know, I think it would be, I think it would be an awesome idea if if this idea really catches on. Uh, you, you know, IRAs and 401ks could be protected this way, and then you know, number one, it would be a great thing for those who are like approaching retirement or already in retirement that they don't they don't lose their retirement. You know, sure. right, at the moment, right at the moment they need it. So I mean, they, it, would, it would protect against those kind of individual tragedies, but it would also stabilize the markets. If if a lot of the investments in the market are protected against the downside like this, it seems like sell-offs would happen much more slowly with a lot less panic coming into play. And uh, so I, I'm 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 hopeful that that that, that uh, financial vehicle begins to catch on. But of course, that has nothing to do with you know the speculist or anything else, but. Um, right,
0: although it sounds like that, that you know there's there's just some like sound investment principles in that idea, like for example, when you talk about people who are uh already in or nearing retirement there's there's always this talk i mean since i've been talking about my retirement for years and years now. Right. that that the mix of the, the amount of risk that's in is reduced as you get closer and ultimately you end up in something that uh, is considered to be very safe whereas you maximize risk when you're younger because you're you're able to deal with the volatility better is
2: that is that the kind
0: of idea you're talking about or
1: well i mean it it doesn't matter what your age is if you're if you're if you choose to uh, structure your 401k this way i mean it's you know let's let's say that you're you're in an index fund that's indexed across you know the Standard and Poors or whatever, or the Dow Jones or whatever, and and Dow Jones is doing ten uh, percent. Uh, you might just be getting an eight percent return on your investment because two percent is going towards paying basically for protection against the downside should it come, and and it, does, right. it always does. So, um, you know, I, I would imagine if if I were the company that were doing that, I'd be taking that money in and, and buying gold. You know, so that when the market goes down and gold goes up, they're protected. So, anyway, it's uh, um it's it's an interesting idea, and uh, I'm hope I'm hopeful that uh, we explore it as as a country um, in the future, so that you know, perhaps uh, future downturns won't be quite as dramatic as this one.
0: Yeah, I like I like the idea of you know getting intelligent about. Protecting against the downside and and thinking about it while we're in the upside because we don't we don't seem to do that very well. <laughs> that's um, right. When but, when it's good, you
1: know, it can never go bad. We're we're past, we're, you know, we're we're post history. You know, we're never going to uh, we're never going to see another downturn again. That's
0: and right. The market has never been like this before, and they, you know, everything's a, changed. And, and, it. It,
1: and then when it's bad, it's never going to be good again. It's just you know we're all screwed. Well, it's it's neither, you know, but so. Maybe we can cut the tops off of the market and fill in the troughs a little bit. Um, and it's always, and it's always in an upward direction over the
0: long term. Absolutely, so. over the long haul. If you look, if you look at a long enough term, how, how about it, Michael? You got any thoughts? How, how we uh, fix the uh, economic crisis?
2: <clears throat> no, I got nothing.
0: <laughs> you got nothing. <laughs> well, I see uh, Rob has kicked in one government for one Earth, and I love Michael's response here in the chat room. Government is so twentieth century. I think uh, that, uh, that is a great statement of one of my uh, basic, basic philosophical principles, as a matter of fact. I, I, I envision a world where we've got software okay, that's, that's preventing the financial risk that Stephen is talking about, and the government of the earth is something along the lines of the uh, committee that, uh, that manages Linux, okay or maybe it's more like the people who run wikipedia if that's uh, innocuous and yet sort of scary enough for everybody that's that's what government i think will ultimately come down to you know it'd be kind of a uh, kind of this exercise in in managing around the, the 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 margins of sort of keeping a few basic things in in line while the rest of us are enjoying uh this unbelievable productivity and uh well, just uh, th- this lifestyle that's almost unimaginable to us now. That's the future that I'm looking for. Rob
1: Rob suggests take away money, replace it with a human achievement point system. I would ask Rob, then what is money now? <laughs> you know, I think money
0: is basically a human achievement point system. Yeah, it is. It it is. But 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 you're able to save and transfer the points. I guess. Yeah, that's right. You can you can be born into a family uh, where you've achieved nothing, and uh, you get all the points from uh, six or seven uh, generations, or (laughs) tell it to Barry Bonds' ex-wife as uh, as Michael. (laughs) Well, that's
2: another way of that's another way of putting it.
0: But but we do we do look for um, ultimately currencies being based on uh, um, these these kind of ideas around. value we've we've talked about reputation possibly ultimately being the uh, the the driver behind economic value i think achievement is another is another good example and 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 it will come down to yeah what's the worth of an individual and what's the worth of what they've brought to the table with, within the economy that's ultimately what what we'll be looking at it'll be a very different world that's for sure absolutely All right, well, I'm going to wrap this up, then. I've got uh, one more thing I want to say. I I totally blanked on the name World Transhumanist Association, the WTA, earlier this evening. So before the program ended, I wanted to make sure I said, PJ, if you're listening, Tyler, everyone, uh, it's the WTA, the World Transhumanist Association. So sorry I couldn't think of the name of the group. I am a dues-paying member, and uh, we we are sort of going by the name H-plus now, or at least we talk about that as being kind of our guiding philosophy. So uh, that might have something to do with why I... Uh, why I blanked on the name. I also wanted to announce I and I don't think we've covered this. Stephen, tell me if we have the winner of our uh good news uh contribution competition that we ran over the last the Better All the Time show 2 weeks ago. Did, did we ever announce that? I, I don't that? think I don't
1: think we mentioned that, did we? Or if we did, uh we got no response from the person who who won it, huh?
0: Well, actually, that goes back to Mike D., who still has not claimed his cup. So, Mike D., if you're listening, uh, you got a freaking huge uh, Fast Forward Radio coffee mug coming your way. But, uh, meanwhile, I know Matt's doing his listening. So, Matt, uh, you and OK David Ray tied for the best, better, all the time contribution, and uh, we could not decide between the two of you. Therefore, we're giving both of you not a uh, Fast Forward Radio freaking huge mug, but a Speculist coffee mug.
1: And those are
0: uh, not freaking huge, but they are not so we. So uh, look forward to getting both of those to you. Write uh, to us at the um, uh, the Speculist email address that's shown on the front page of the Speculist, and let us know where to ship those. And congratulations and thanks for your contributions. And at that point, I'll say, what's our music for this evening?
1: Well, in keeping with our uh, our, our theme night, I, I went with something that was. It's all. It sounds a little bit like uh, the. The upbeat music from the 30s, you know, like Happy Days are Here Again and that sort of thing. Uh, the name of the, okay. the name of the band is Adam and the Walter Boys, and the song is
0: Keep Smiling. Okay, Keep Smiling by Adam and the Walter Boys, was it? That's right. All right, Adam and the Walter Boys, Keep Smiling. Thanks, Stephen. We'll look forward to seeing your show notes on the program. Thanks for your contributions this evening. Michael, thanks to you and to all our friends in the chat room. Ciao. And to... And to everyone listening, we thank you for being with us. Thank you for being a part of Fast Forward Radio, and we look forward to being with you again very soon. Until then, good night.